You're listening to the Song Collector podcast, brought to you from Cork, Ireland, by Roy Buckley Music. Hank, do you feel that those people have a responsibility so to nurture that? I think uh, if they choose to be involved uh, in what they do, you mean like the managers and the producers? And yeah, the, yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, hopefully that anyone listening to this, they might meet someone like Declan Sinnott or maybe like Eleanor might meet someone like me or, you know, might meet someone like Mick Hutch or, yeah. or, or might meet someone... You know, like Pat Conway in the lobby, this or was, that you know, was what I was leading on to. Because yeah, but I, I, I don't want to be saying, well, you know, because it is a cutthroat business. Absolutely, it's it a is, complete yeah. cutthroat business, mm-hmm. and you're in fashion one day, and the next day is like old news. Yeah, you know, you're just like you know, who let them into the room? See, the, 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 <laughs> that, that was the leading question I was yeah. asking you because um, I never got to play the lobby, but. I did play the room when uh, John O'Callaghan, as you mentioned earlier, Tex. Oh, yeah. When, yeah. when he had it, I was on Crubeen. I did play it then, but I never got to play it when Pat Conway had it. And, like, I mean, the lobby, this is one of the topics. Do you want to know about the lobby? Well, this is what I'm getting at because there's so many people have different stories over the lobby. It was such an institution. I mean, credit where it's due to, to Pat Conway, you know, like for... for um... Well, well uh, the, the story, this is how the lobby, and Pat would concur with this, this is how I got involved with the lobby. We're going to get him on the podcast. He said he'd have, um, Good have stuff. A, a chat at some stage. And I, I mean, I'm Good looking stuff. forward Pat, to that. if he hears this, he'll know that what happened was is that he was friends with my wife's cousin. And when I arrived back, at the time my dad got sick... My dad got sick with cancer and he eventually died in 1988. But when I arrived back in the beginning of 88, I didn't know what to do with myself. And I was back and I was newly married and I was trying to figure out, you know, how come I'm not in New York anymore? All right, I'm back in Cork. I better do something. So that's when I got Princess Street together. And then Pat Conway's was friends with my wife, Eileen's cousin, whose also name is Eileen. And word came back to me, you should go into this place called The Lobby. It used to be Henry Africa's. Mm. <laughs> I have a funny story about Henry Africa's, <laughs> Henry Africa's as well. But uh, it used to be Henry Africa's, and before that it was Heafy's. Anyone listening of a certain vintage will know Heafy's. I don't really remember Heafy's, except I remember it was there. Um, so my main place at that point in that, in that corner was the Phoenix. But uh, we went in. And Pat gave us, Pat liked what we were doing. And by that time, we had a drummer, Art Lorgan, and a bass player, and he dealt, it was the five of us. This is before Brian came back from Greece, actually. And that's the band that made The Night John Lynch Lost His Glass. And Pat really liked what we were doing, and he got behind Prince's Street and made sure that we made um, money to fund making the... He kind of got behind us. So, yeah, it is important to find people like that, just to answer your question mm-hmm. about that. It is very important, I guess, to some extent. But then, you know, it's a cutthroat business, you know. Mm-hmm. And I guess I was associated with the lobby from about 1988 to about 1993. Because uh, the early form of Open Kitchen, when I came back from America in 1990, we were the resident band there for like three years. So it was quite a place. I mean, it was a small room. 
it's like what Collins is now. It was a small room. It was like a hundred people. It was too many people in there. Mm -hmm. But that that's what would happen. You know? <laughs> that's what would happen. But the people who went there went to listen. Yeah. Yeah, they did. They did. It was, it was yeah. What happened was then Pike got involved in bringing songwriters and and tried folk people in the wake of this Princess Street days. He got involved. So they, there was a lot of listening gigs then. Yeah, definitely. But it was uh, when we started playing there, it was a rock and roll joint, you know, because we were kind of a rock and roll band. Kind of a rock and roll band. We were a rock and roll band. <laughs> you know, we were the best rock and roll band in the city. <laughs> we invented Irish Americana. There it is. <laughs> there it is on record. We invented it. Um, so, yeah, that's what, uh, that's what the lobby was. It, it, so it is important that people like, Pat Conway or Bill Graham or, you know, whoever it is that's, you know, that, that they do it and they do it well. You know, but they, like it, it's show business too, you know, show business, music business, the rock and roll business. It's uh, Yeah, but you, you do need the likes of Pat Conway to give you a platform to, yes. to show this. Yes, you, know? you do, uh, you do. Hank, I, I want to um, ask you about songwriting, first of all, but, but about the process and then I want to ask you about one or two of your songs after that. Um, so, uh, the way I'd normally put this to a, a guest on the podcast is because everybody writes a different way, you know. Mm -hmm. um, well, you don't have to give away your secrets nowhere at all, but um, is it like, uh, you know, when you're learning the craft or... or, or um, uh, you know, trying to come up with an idea, inspiration. What's your thought process? Is it lyrics first, melody first, or, or um, do you have to? Would Would you write, we'd say, daily or weekly uh, as a kind of um, exercise, or do you wait until you know you uh, something hits you that you need to go and write about that, or this certain topic is what I mean, or what? What way, way does Hank Waddell write a song? Well, I told you earlier about New Yorkers. Mm -hmm. I don't know if that's earlier now in this interview, but I told you about how I wrote New Yorkers. Mm -hmm. I heard one line in a movie. And that set you off for that particular sound. But I already had the riff. So there's two ways it can happen. You'll either get a line <coughs> and you'll build a song around the line and the idea, that sort of seed, that couplet. Mm -hmm. Or else there'll be a riff and the riff will suggest something or something will suggest itself to the riff. So I had the the way New Yorkers go. goes, da 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 I'm a New Yorker. Uh, it just sort of fit and everything came from that then, you know? Um, that's one way. There's, they kind of emerge. I don't, I don't know what to say about it. They They kind of emerge. I mean, song for you when I did it with Open Kitchen in New York has got two verses and two choruses. Mm -hmm. And then Declan Sinnott said, we need another verse. So another verse is written. So that's how that happened. He didn't write it, but Brian, who I wrote it with, I write a lot of songs with Brian. Uh, uh, that's how that was written. So, someone suggested I got a song called In Your Dreams yeah. I know you won't be playing these but I remember 
I like that song. And well. Martin Lee, he said, that's good. He said, but you need a middle eight and another. Someone else uh, in your dreams, need, in your dreams, in your yeah, dreams. Good yeah. song. Martin Lee came up to me. He said, it's good. He said, but you need a middle eight and another verse. So I did. I wrote another middle eight and a verse, you know? Like, so, and then I write with people, too. Like, when we're talking about Too Gone Too Young. Yeah. yeah. Writing that with Mary, Mary Green. You were asking about the first line in that. He always wore the best boots. He really he knew his leather. leather yeah. And then you just stay at it. You, you, like you really just stay at it um, as much as you possibly can stay at it until it emerges. And I think that's what... But does that not depend on the song you're writing though? Because um, uh, let's say a deeper song might take longer. Um, a pop uh, that's song. not necessarily true. A pop song might Well, be, who decides what's deeper and who decides what's a pop song? I mean, like, uh, what, do you think... Uh, I've got a song called Afraid of You. Yeah. You know that song. Yeah. You, know, you might think that's deep. But what happened with that was uh, I had the guitar, the picking guitar thing for ages. Mm -hmm. And I woke up on a floor in Cork after a Saturday night, Sunday morning party somewhere. Surprise, surprise. Yes. <laughs> surprise, surprise. When I, when I was still doing that type of thing. Uh, it's... Uh, <laughs> Anyway, I remember where I was, for some reason, I was at this party, I woke up in the morning on the floor, and there was a guitar there from the night before, <clears throat> and I wrote that, the words, immediately. The whole song? The whole verse. I had, I had, I had the guitar lines. No, the lyrics. The lyrics I wrote immediately. Start to finish. Start to finish. That morning, completely hungover, strung out. Mm. I remember Mick Fannery saying, um, on an interview uh, last year, I think it was to Sheena Crowley, actually. Um, that, uh, she asked him something about songwriting as well, and he was one of the things he says is people say that when you're under the influence, if you're uh, uh, hungover, was one, or stoned or, or something, you know, um, people can, can, can write something, you know. Not necessarily true for everyone, I suppose, but um, what I meant about a deeper song was something that um, can take time to get that message processed in your own head and out. Sometimes that doesn't all happen instantaneous unless you're Hank with Hill. <laughs> no, I, I, but, I, mean, I don't know there's other songs that have taken me. I, that's there's, what I mean. there's other, But there's loads of things you can learn from, from other people's songs too. I mean, like Noel Brazil. Mm -hmm. He wrote great songs. He was the sort of the king of the middle eight. He he wrote amazing middle eights. Yeah, Christy Moore covered a couple of his as well. Didn't he do Metropolitan yeah. Avenue? Yeah, he did. And he he's done a Mary Black. Yeah. You know, a song like Columbus uh, or um what's the other what's one? What's the now? one you do? Um I do Somerset you. There's no middle eight in that, but You do um That's a that's Calamity a morning well. that that's great too, because all of a sudden like, it's a morning, afternoon, evening song. He just like mm -hmm. everyone experiences that, you know? Um, and that I don't know. Like, see, it's it's. You haven't. Got I, a think, set I think. I think. I think the thing is about a song, is that the the. You've almost got to. Unconsciously or subconsciously create the environment, for something for something that might come through. But that's why it can be very. Um, time consuming and. Uh, it can be instantaneous too. This is the same reason. I don't even know if I'm saying this 
properly. Mm. But they might, like, I've got another song now which I haven't really recorded, um, but it's proving popular at the at the shows, at the gigs, called The Time We Share. Yeah, I know. Yeah, yeah. yeah well, I haven't really recorded that properly. I actually but I, saw a video of you doing it with Keela recently. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All the crowders singing it too, yeah? Yeah, yeah, that's, that, that's something else. But, like, I had the verses for that, and I was singing it away. I was just, you know, kind of trying it out at gigs and singing it away so and stuff like that. But I met Ronano Snudig from Keela, who's a good friend and a very inspirational fella. I said, look, I got this. And I played the, the song. And uh, I had been writing it with Brian. I wrote the first verse. Brian wrote the second verse. And then we had a third verse. But we didn't really have a chorus. And then I played it for Ronan, and he just started singing, it's all about the time we share. So then all of a sudden, yeah, I knew the song was... Catchy and gonna work. Oh, not even sort of catchy, I just knew... It's catchy, though. Well, that, that's good. But uh, it's I just knew it was gonna work then. Mm -hmm. And since then, I've been playing it live and really, you know, trying to get people to listen to it and, and get along with it. Well, it seems to be working, because on the video I saw, the whole crowd was singing it, so... But I'll tell you another thing about it, like, with regards to it, is like... Like, I love writing songs with Mary Green. I like writing songs with other people. If, if, not so much that you don't have too many expectations, but just that there should be no pressure to do anything except, I don't want to say maybe write a song, but just making the circumstances so that a song can come through you mm -hmm. and your experience or the experience of the people you organize. You asked me about the first line of yeah, Too, too gone, gone, Too, too Young. Gone, yeah. Well, Mary was talking about Noel. I said, that's a great line for a song. He always wore the best boots. He really knew his leather. He always had the best rhyme to hold us. We were writing a song about a guy that writes songs. <laughs> yeah. Do you know? So it was done. And Mary actually chastises me because I, I write songs. <laughs> that, that's not finished. And I was like, yeah, it's finished. You know, there's all that arguments as well. Like, you know, you is, mean, is it finished? Is it not finished? Do you mean at some stage you got to say... Uh, I'm good at that. Yeah. I'm good at, to the, to the chagrin of a lot of people I play, I play and write songs with. Yeah. That's not done. That's not done properly. You should do this. You should do this. And yeah, like I told you, you like Declan Sinner told me to write another... I told my son Brian write another verse that. So it's an ongoing process. But that, 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 that's only somebody else's opinion. Like someone else... Yeah, but you, I think that the, the, you need maybe the insight... You should develop an insight to take someone else's opinion Absolutely, yeah. on board when but you're the, writing it. What I'm saying is, um, and I'm not arguing with uh, Declan Sinner or anyone here, yeah, but yeah. What, I, what I'm saying is um, somebody might love your song the way it is now mm -hmm. and might not like it if you do something different with it, the same way as somebody who didn't like it now loves it because of what you did do. It's all about someone's taste, isn't it? Or like one man's taste is another man's poison. You know what I mean? Um, yeah, that's true. Because I can remember when we recorded Speak To Me, a lot of people liked the recording of it and then other people saying, that doesn't sound like it sounds live. You know, because live was a little bit overdriven and yeah, epic yeah. and loud and stuff. Like The recording is is somewhat held back. Well, the first time... It's I, lovely. Don't get me wrong. The, the, it's it's lovely. It's, the it's first fine, time I like. heard that was on um, my uncle Mick Hutch's album, Roll, from 95. Um, yeah, Mick. Yeah, yeah, that was a, a nice story. He went and got a... What's her name to sing the backing vocals? Elaine. Elaine, yeah. A nice surprise. She holds that note for about six months, doesn't she? When she yeah, yeah. In the high part. She was emulating a, a, a woman called Carol Barrett who sang that. Carol's now an Anglican minister in the UK. Wow. Married to another Anglican minister, tending to her flock in the Anglican faith. 
How about that? How about it? <laughs> Must get her to sing Speak to Me. But she's sweet, actually, because she sings uh, Listen with her congregation. I'm just about nice. to move on to that now. Um, of uh, the many songs you've written your whole, your whole career and stuff, yes. um, I was delighted for you um, to see uh, the great Christy Moore take your song Listen. Mm-hmm. Christy puts his own stamp and authority on on songs. Um, didn't necessarily get away from your song or anything, and I don't mean that he changed anything in it. But um, I liked Christie's version. I love your version. But I thought it was nice, um, a nice nod to Hank Waddell that he called um, the album after your song as well. It was the title track. Yeah, that, so, that was all around the time the Small Town Talk was happening. And the band that are on that album are basically Small Town Talk without me. <laughs> 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 it's Declan, Martin, and Eleanor. Declan produced it. And, uh, you know... That's that's a that's a fine album, and I was honored. Of course, I was honored by that. I mean, it's got songs by John Spillane. It's got "Hey Does This Train Leave," yeah. "Merseyside." It's got uh, "Shine On You Crazy, Crazy Diamond." Diamonds, uh, yeah, it was amazing. Charlie Dreams was honored as well. I had gotten to know, gotten to know, and, and is just I'd gotten to know Christy a little bit from going to gigs with Declan and going to the gigs he was doing. I am. Um, you don't have to answer this if you don't want to, but I'm intrigued to find out um, where you were or how it came about that um, Christy told you I'm going to do one of your songs because I thought... Oh, that's, that, that's, that's, yeah, that was quite a moment. Uh, you know, uh, I was with Eileen one day. She was shopping in Douglas. She was to Douglas for some reason. Maybe Sarah, my daughter... Was it Jim or something? Well, anyway, I was in the parking lot of Douglas Shopping Center, the one that's closed down now. Yeah. I was in the old car park there. And uh, Christy rang me up. Out of the blue? Completely out of the blue. Now, I'd know, I'd recorded Listen with, with Declan. Yeah, small yeah talk I, talk. I love your version of it, yeah. yeah. Um, so I wasn't surprised that he'd heard it, you know. Uh because they listen to a lot of songs. They listen to a lot of songs. <laughs> but uh, he said, I'd, I'd love to. Would you be would you be okay with me singing this song? And I said, I'd be more than honored, Christy. I am not going to put on a Christy Moore accent. But <laughs> I won't do that. Okay. But uh, he, you know, it was, it was great. I had met him um, at a few gigs prior to that. So it, it wasn't a surprise to hear from him. Okay. But it was a wonderful thing for him to say, look, I'm going to have a go at the song. I was in Douglas Car Park waiting for Eileen to come out. And uh, Eileen came back out and I said, she's got a phone call there. (laughs) (laughs) So it was quite a moment. And I believe um, that song was written, were you snowed up in the... I I was inside the Arctic Circle in northern Sweden in a fishing village you want to call it that next to a copper mine an old copper mine in the arctic called yalavera because there was a circuit of irish pubs in scandinavia and i flew up there for saint patrick's day and we you gigging now uh, yeah <laughs> okay yeah i mean I, I, like i've told Hank the story Hank of gigs i've told the story of gigs you'd literally find Hank how that song how that now. song came out basically was or how it came out of me was i 
I was playing up there. I was flown up there for the weekend entertainment of St. Patrick's weekend to play in this Irish bar up there. And on the plane also was that year's Eurovision entry from Sweden and her dancers and her backing tracks. And she would go on, dance around the place to the sort of pop disco, Swedish pop disco thing. And then they'd have to put up with me singing my songs. And I didn't know anybody and I had a room to myself and I looked out the window and it was so still and so beautiful. I mean, like I realized I was at the top of the world and it was just dark and the snow and it's just... So I flew back down to Stockholm, was playing a place outside of Stockholm and I went for a, a coffee one morning and these thoughts that were in my head about how beautiful and quiet and still it was up there just made me write a whole bunch of things that you can't really hear unless you really put your mind to it. Mm -hmm. You know, listen to unless the whisper you, of moonlight on the water. I mean, your eyes and listen. Yeah, unless you, you know, you, so I think he really, Christy really got off on that. And he also liked the line of, uh, listen to the snowfall gently on the mining town. Now, it was a mining town in northern Sweden, but it could be a mining town anywhere. Yeah. That's the line he said that he really liked. Nice. And that, that, was the, that was the basic thing of it. But I remember writing that really, <coughs> really, really quick at this restaurant, wrote all the words. Another thing is, and this, I think Shane McGowan says this as well, that you could write reams of stuff. That's the thing you can do. I don't always do it, but it is a thing you can do. Write reams and reams and reams of stuff getting out of you what you observe, what you feel, what you think, tell the story that's within you, write reams, and then edit. Mm. And I've done a lot of that. That's, 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 if you want any practical tip about songwriting, listeners, that's a thing to do. Write reams, and then sit with your guitar or your mind or something, and then edit mm. to get to the very basic essence of it. Like I, I've got another song called Poe Park, which is about Edgar Allan Poe's house in New York City. And I remember writing that, and it was reams and reams and reams of stuff about what happened to me at that park. And the way I wrote it cut out, I'd say, maybe six-eighths of what, what I had written. Yeah. And I had the base. Do you know what I mean? I do, yeah. Then I've heard Shane McGowan say, but I, I did that. Uh, I did that with Listen as well. I had reams of stuff. And I came back and I played it for the guys in Open Kitchen and they seemed to like it. And I thought, this is not a rock and roll song at all. Yeah, this yeah, is yeah. not a rocker, you know. Everyone's always looking for a rocker. Like, let's have yeah, another yeah. New Yorkers, Hank. Let's have another double parking or something like that. No, I thought, no, you're, yeah. you're star of the song. So, it, like, that was, that's one of the things. And the other thing I would say as well to budding songwriters is do, do express right what's on your mind and, and write what you feel that you should play and learn a new riff and then embellish it or make it your own or make something out of it that's different or whatever and don't be ashamed of anything like that but the other thing you could do learning about the craft of song and you learn you know what a verse it is what a chorus is what a middle eight is what a bridge is learn those things mm -hmm. by hook or by crook mm -hmm. learn those things and and that's that's part of the thing you know so uh I know you have... Learn what a hook is. 
I know you. Th- thanks for uh, Norma the the insight into <laughs> thanks for the insight into that because um, a lot of people would like to know from um, the horse's mode what um, giddy up. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Right like, on. How you, how you got into doing it, and that's great knowing that you know. Yeah. The other thing, uh, uh, going back into your uh, your your uh, time studying history and everything, mm. I was very intrigued. We, we played at the top of the the program. Um, your song Maiden's Tower. Right. Now, I had never heard of uh, Maiden's Tower, and next they see you on a TV show in Azerbaijan singing it. Aziri Stars. <laughs> so what's that what it was called? Special guest. So Aziri Stars. Your songs have been have been covered by lots of people. They've travelled, they've gone to far off places. Um can you tell me a little bit about the story of Maiden's Tower and then how it how it managed to get over to uh, be recorded by an artist in Azerbaijan? Oh, well, I don't know really was it recorded by artists in Azerbaijan, but I played it in Azerbaijan. And in that video, there's a woman whose name escapes me right now. Although Owen Regan will tell you, the guitar player will tell you her name. Moldova or something like that. She's famous for singing uh, a certain type of Aziri folk singing that's really wild Mm -hmm. and ancient to that region. And she wailed over that. That's the the video I saw. She wailed over that while I mimed to a backing track on TV. (laughs) I recorded that. The backing track of that was recorded in Kinmare with uh, Andre Vanderhoff, the saxophone player. A, a Dutch drummer. Dutch, he, he plays a lot, which is still he does. Yeah. Andre, yeah, Andre and Andre, and and uh, Shane O'Brien, the bass player from Open Kitchen, one of Open Kitchen's bass players, and we did that in Azerbaijan because what had happened, and everything I said earlier about songwriting applies to this song. Someone made an offhand remark to me: No one's ever taken Maiden's Tower in all the wars and, and all the struggles in that area. And it's just north of Iran. It's a very contentious area. It's the Caspian Sea. And uh, I had, I came back again. I, I arrived back from there to Cork and started working on it. And uh, I came up with a riff pretty quick. Like something takes a hold of you when you write a song. You know, mm-hmm. that, that, that's, mm-hmm. but I don't want to say like you're possessed or anything like that because that's that's a heavy thing i don't want anyone to think that they should you know have to be possessed or get stoned or get drunk or you yeah. know no i'm not saying i don't you do, I, but I try to I, but these things will happen to you in the course this. of a lifetime you know if you take a chance and like maiden's tower it just all of a sudden i wrote reams that's another thing i wrote reams for and then all of a sudden uh i decided I had this, and then I, the riff came from trying to write the song. I didn't have the riff first. The riff came eventually. There's sort of a G minor riff in it. And it's really a lot of fun to play. Mm-hmm. So uh, I eventually recorded that for the album Living in the Land of Love, which is uh, an album I recorded with um, Eleanor and Christian Best and Brian <laughs> and the aforementioned Owen Regan on guitar and a whole bunch of other people that are on it. Uh, and that's pretty much how 
I wrote that song. I went to Azerbaijan and uh, it's Persia or what was Persia. It's northern Iran. I, it's a really interesting place <coughs> for someone from Cork, you know. I mean, it's an oil-rich town on the Caspian Sea. It's completely secular. It's Muslim, but it's completely secular in a way that Iran is not. It's like, you know, there's Iran and then there's Azerbaijan, and Azerbaijan is like northern Iran, except mm. it's secular. And it's where all the oil companies have their business, and it's where there's uh, a lot of international stuff goes on down there. And uh, they're very proud of old Baku, because no one has ever taken it. No one in any in all the wars, everything. So I, the guy said that to me. I said, you, I, I, from that point on, I knew I was going to write the song. Do you know how long it, it's standing? Uh, I think it's pre-Islamic. Wow. I I think. But the other thing is, there's maiden towers in uh, Turkey. It's east. It's actually Eastern Turkey. It's Northern Iran and it's Eastern Turkey. That's what it is. And uh, it's, that's, that's the region it is in. Like, you know, so there's Maiden's Towers. This is where you get into Spinal Tap area. Sometimes I introduce this. It's sort of like a pre-Islamic thing, you know. No one knows what they were doing, but their legacy lives on. Um, <laughs> Stonehenge. It's kind of like, it is like Stonehenge. It's, uh. If you look at the Maiden Tower, it's actually Maiden Tower, and it has to do with the, you know, locking someone up at the top of the tower, and there's like a, there's a window that looks like a door, and what's that door doing in the middle of the, but what it is then is that the on the solstice, the sun shines in and illuminates one of the rooms. It's one of those things. Okay. And it illuminates the the room, which is full of like jewelry and tapestry and all this sort of stuff. Oh, so yeah. it's like Stonehenge, it's like New Grange, it's yeah, yeah, one yeah. of those ancient structures. Chris, it's very catchy. Uh, yeah, well, I mean, that was insane. I mean, like, oh, I found myself, and like, Azerbaijan used to be part of the Soviet Union. <laughs> so there's that legacy there as well. I found myself on what was the state mm. uh, TV show, Aziri Stars. And when I look at it now, it looks I look ridiculous. I, mean, just like I, was, I left my leather jacket on. I didn't get a haircut. So the guy asked me, what you, you know, I like I, I just look ridiculous. But it's fun to watch. Too. I'm not ashamed of it. It's just when I look at it, it's like I could have done maybe with a stylist at this thing. But uh, Hank, if you got a haircut, nobody recognizes you. Would you yeah, stop? There you go. But uh, it uh, like it, it was so weird because the guy asked me, "Who does your hair?" And I said, "God." And the moment I said, "God," I was like. <laughs> I could be in trouble. At least, you know, I could be in trouble here. But I didn't. And uh, it went great. And then the, for like the next two days around Azerbaijan, these taxi drivers and stuff were like, oh, I see you on television. That's cool, man. Yeah, it was cool for a couple of days. And it was, you know, it was great. It was great. It was, it was great that uh, it was St. Patrick brought me there, actually, basically. I went over there to play for the Celtic, uh, the, yeah, the Glasgow Celtic fan club of the workers that were over there and the Irish embassy. It was a joint effort to get, I, I can't tell you, I, I, I couldn't tell you the story about how we got to do it, but I found myself being MD of a whole thing there that was a mixture of um, ambassadors and Celtic fans. And we were in the middle of them all. 
It was, it, it was, it, it was, yeah. What a party. Yes. <laughs> yes. What a party. But I would, I would always be grateful for us. And I just met the guy actually who was involved in a lot of getting us out there. I met him again after a good few years. I met him here in Cork. Michael, Michael Hartley. But uh, Michael made sure that we attended the dinner. We weren't just the entertainment. He made sure, so we had to kind of dress up. You know, there were people in evening gowns yeah, and, yeah. you know, the, we put on our hippie musician finest and went down to the dinner. And, and you know, well, Shane O'Brien, the bass player, was always dressed dress well and Andre, the saxophone player, he always dressed as well. I mean, but we all put on shirts and... and made the effort. Like, made the effort, yeah, like, yeah. you know, and we, were, and we were sitting with, like, the, you know, the ambassador, the ambassador and his wife and we were sitting with all these different sort of people and big people in business and, yeah. Yeah. Um, so the song had to be written. I just think it's cool that um a guy based in, in Cork, uh, well now anyway, um that you're you're I, lo I love hearing those stories about guys you know and their songs travelling or like Christy doing your song or your songs um going to different countries and being invited. Because there's a certain amount of pride comes with that when you see it and you go, you know what, I know that guy and he deserves it. So um on that topic I, I no problem telling anybody if anyone if your name ever comes up, you've been one of the guys um, who's always um, encouraged and helped and um, uh, supported music in or in in Cork, especially with the generations who've came after you. You know you're always willing to um, dive in or give a helping hand or, or you know and like. Just advice or something, you know. I've I've seen you doing it. You've did it with me. You've did it with, with a lot of other people, and um, I think that should be uh, broadcast. You know, I think that should be told that of all your achievements and 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 accolades and uh, that that you've you know you've worked hard for, you're still giving back to um the people who who are who came after you. You know, so that that that's I think that a nice this thing, this know? goes back to what I was, you were to a couple of things. First of all, it goes back to the thing we were just talking about there about is it important so i guess it's important for me if i meet someone or become aware of someone in cork or anywhere but since i'm in cork i might as well just be cork uh if i can give them a platform and i certainly will and that's this kind of dovetails into what happens in charlie's on a monday night which we haven't even mentioned me playing with Ray Barron for like 25,000 years on Monday nights That's for Magella nice in Charlie. So there's that, but also with various bands and stuff like that. It, you know, I, it should be said that some of my fellow musicians aren't always in love with people coming up. <laughs> yeah, I know this guy. Come on, he can play, he can sing a song. You know, sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. Mm -hmm. And then sometimes you have someone like John Lynch, who should be mentioned here now, the man mm -hmm. who lost his glasses. Uh, you know, John Lynch was like the lost soul voice in so many ways of Cork rock and roll. Yeah. He didn't manage to be in any of the sort of the bands for various reasons, but he could sing and he loved music. He mm -hmm. absolutely adored music and song and he loved the Rolling Stones and he loved Bob Dylan and he loved Neil Young and he loved... The Beatles and all this stuff that I talked about earlier when we started off there, John was like the living embodiment of this. And he could sing, man, 
and he loved the fact that we would give him a chance to sing because that's one of the things that happened on Princess Street. He would come and sing with us. He couldn't, for, for various reasons, he never managed to get into a band in Cork in the early seventies and stuff uh, like that. I, I remember so him saying play sing with you. Yeah, so sort of, there's that. Know. There's John Lynch, there's that end of it. And then, you know, there's someone like we'll say Claire Sands. Hello, Claire. You know, I noticed that Claire could play. Mm, and before her on the fiddle there was Edel Sullivan in that, you know. Although, you know, they were gonna do things anyway with or without me. You know, they were you know But it's nice to meet a good guy along the way, Hank. Yeah, and, well I guess I think it I think it's important to do that. But then it this goes back there's that side of it. There's the other thing is as well. I place a lot of store and stock of my happiness and sanity on being able to do this mm -hmm. or allowing myself to do this and not necessarily being worried about money or security or uh, owning property. And that would make it very difficult sometimes for people to live with me. I acknowledge that too, because, you know, it's good to own property. It's good to make money. It's good to do it's all those security, things. security, I suppose. You know? Yeah, you know, so I think the payoff that is I've tried to keep myself straight and sober in my dealings. You know, I'm not teetotal. And I mentioned herbal cigarettes earlier. <laughs> you know, uh, so it's not like, you know, I'm abstemious or anything like that. But I certainly try to keep myself together because I really place a lot of... You're professional, Hank. Well, you could say that, like, you know, but I think it is more to do with a certain amount of sanity or how I want to exist. Mm -hmm. I don't mean to sound deep or, no, or weird you, about uh, it. Like, yeah, that's nice that you say it's professional. But you're doing... But then again, you know, there's other people who say, what you bringing that loser on the stage for? You know, there's other... I've had to deal with that as well. And I can't blame some of you. Like, for all the people that you're talking about that I've had on stage with me, mm -hmm. there's other people that I should not have... <laughs> I shouldn't have done... I shouldn't have subjected this, you know, people to. But yeah, I don't but, mind but, that either. But to Hank Waddell, music is music. And you're willing yeah. to... That, that's the whole point. You're yeah, willing to yeah. give them a chance, you know? If they mess it up... Well, you you never know where you where it might lead you, you know. You don't. You don't. You never know where it might lead you. I mean, like I've had, you know, I can remember like that. That's the, that was why Open Kitchen was called Open Kitchen. And one of the nicest things about Open Kitchen was around that time that I knew your uncle and we played in France and stuff. That I started working with a guy called Bobby Lee and Mal Blackie and James O'Sullivan. Myself and Brian got involved with them, and we had a kind of a Crosby, Stills, Nash & Young version of that. There was no drums, just Brian playing bongos or congas or something like that, and it was all very vocal, you know? Uh, and that led to another kind of open kitchen as well. But I, I can remember Bobby being really young, um, and then when we had Mal Blackie, a great songwriter, I mean, it was it was open to that sort of thing, you know? It was open to, you know... Um, and it's just like, that's just like kind of be open to, I like meeting people, um, whether I get to record with them or whether I get to write songs with them. I mean, like I did a lot of work with Edel Curtin. She played piano for a long time. She's running Collins and all that sort of stuff now, but, uh, you know, we had a great time playing with her and Ellie O'Keefe. Like they, it was, that was amazing. And that's, um, how I got to meet Christian Best, who I ended up working with. He, Works with Mick Flannery and like you know I so I kind of keep myself open to working with you know and that like Eleanor and all that sort of stuff I yeah waiting to see 
Okay. So, Hank, what I'm hearing from you is um, all these uh, musicians um, going back since you started and right up to now, uh, people are coming and going and um, some people might be gone for a while and they're back in with you, playing with you again and everything. You've come across a lot of great players and I'm sure that um, they've influenced you as much as you've influenced them along along the way. Would that be fair to say? Oh, without a doubt. But it, the, the, the main thing I think is amazing about Cork is that I've been very fortunate to uh, work with many great musicians that are mm -hmm. based here. I've mentioned a lot of the names already, you know? Yeah. So uh, that's amazing, you know, when I think about it through the years. You know, and it, it, it keeps giving. <laughs> you, well, know? you know, I could say the same thing about you then as well, Hank, because as I mentioned earlier, um, you've always been the guy who's... Um, pushed the generations coming through and everything, you know, you, you've always been um, kind of a guide for a lot of people too, you know, it must be said. So, you know, you've you've given a hell of a lot to um, music in general, but especially to the, the, the Cork scene, you know. Well, I'd like to publicly thank everybody <laughs> that worked with me, put up with me and helped me create whatever it is that I've created in these songs and in these gigs. So thank you for that opportunity and apologize to them for anything <laughs> for that I might have. Well, you know, anything, you know, it's, it's not easy. You know, you're playing a song and you're playing music and, you know, someone wants to do one thing one way and another guy wants to do it another way. Another girl wants to do it this way. And then what you're left with is, I don't want to say the compromise of all that, but all those ideas put together, you know, some people. Yeah, but sometimes uh, that's just the creative element that comes out of that melting pot, you know? I guess so. You know, um, yeah. I, 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 I don't know. Um, I, I think that um, you're after giving a hell of a lot. And I think that you've, you've helped a lot of people along the way too. So, um, Well, it all stems back to the thing I said earlier. I, I really place a lot of store in maintaining uh, sanity and uh, stability in being able to make music. Mm -hmm. I don't want to say happiness, because happiness, it depends on what you want to be happy about. Yeah, it's measured differently. But uh, sanity and stability are something that I think I've maintained within myself from knowing that I can play, write, sing, work with other people. So I think it has a lot to do with that, what you're talking about, you know? And I, I just hope that uh, everyone that I've worked with are doing okay with their sanity and their stability <laughs> as well. You know, or that when they were working with me that, it, you know, and I'm not saying that it's easy or it's a, it's a joy ride or it's, you know, but I think you know what I mean. I think your listeners know what I mean. Like I just, I place a lot of store in that and uh, that's kind of why everything has happened. Okay. I want to take a little musical break here. We're going to play one of your songs because I want to talk to you about um, your latest album, Living in the Land of Love. And I want to talk to you about the institution on a Monday night that has become Hank and Ray in Charlie's. Um, so we're going to play one of your songs. Um, Which one? Song for you, I think. I really love the uh, the version that I, on... on um, 
that you sent me there uh, the other day. Oh, that's Princess Street, produced by Declan Sinnott. Really fresh sound, man. It sounds great. Thanks. You know? Yeah, he did a he did an amazing job. It was it was an amazing time in okay. Solon Studios back in 1989. That song was released 30 years ago this year. Wow. Yeah. On, on a vinyl single. <laughs> wow. I still have copies, folks. <laughs> Under the bed. Under the stairs. Okay, well, we're going to have a listen to this and we'll come back and speak. Would you uh, do us the honour of introducing your song? Song for you, written by Brian Carroll and myself, Hank Widell, recorded by Princess Street, released as an A-side single that was produced by Declan Sinnott in May 1990, and by July, we had broken up. (laughs) (laughs) Keep on rolling, keep on dreaming, keep on living, loving, and believing. That's the chorus. Here's Hank Waddell's song for you. That leads into that, and then we're going to come back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Great stuff, Hank. Thank you. Um, It's great to hear that again. Yeah. So, tell me about the whole concept and how it came about that you decided to do this album, Living in the Land of Love. Which song for you is not on, by the way. I know, yeah. Yeah. Oh, Living in the Land of Love. We talked earlier about how I write songs with Mary Green Mm -hmm. and how I work with Eleanor Healy when Mm -hmm. she's in town. or if I go to where she is, she's in Australia at the moment, if she's listening to this, then again, she could be back in Cork. She's uh, <laughs> like Mary Poppins. She used to babysit my kids and uh, has played a significant role in my music since 1990 when I met her, when she was babysitting my kids, our kids. And uh, she arrived back in 2007 uh, from New Jersey and she did a gig with Declan Sinnott and I which we had done before but uh, Declan decided that he wanted to put a band around uh, what we were doing so we got Martin Leahy in and we did that 2008, 2009, 2010 and by 2011 after a couple of tours and the Listen song We'd done some recording, but uh, we stopped doing it then. And by that time, I was working with Edel Curtin, and I had run into Christian Best. I remember when Christian <laughs> was a young fella down in Connolly's Alep, uh, down in that place, down in um, yeah, the, the, Lep. Where the, the, yeah, the Paddy. Music venue, yeah. I should. I, uh, Paddy was a, a great character and a great supporter of me and other people of my vintage and it's great to know that that place is open again and they've made it into a musical theater that Eileen and Sam have done that um so in and around that time uh when we stopped the small town talk thing I was still working with Eleanor and I was writing songs with Mary Green and I approached Christian and I said, look, I really like what you did with Red to Blue, Mick yeah, Flannery's. I think that's maybe one of the best albums ever ever came out of the city, just in terms of songwriting, performance, and the sounds. It sounded like an uncompromising 
rock record. Credit where it's due, man. Mick, Mick has been um, churning out great songs for years, you know? Yeah. He's, yeah. he's a great performer. Well, the, so. there is all that. But that album in particular at the time was, I thought, very special. I thought, God, I'd love to... Mm-hmm. I'd like to get yeah, that kind of sound. And I, I think to some extent Christian did provide that. He's got a very distinct way of working. He's a drummer. And uh, Eleanor and I and Brian uh, started recording there. And it was one of the happiest recording experiences. Yeah, I, I like recording anyway, mm-hmm. you know. But uh, I just remember at the time going to wherever he was he was in a couple of locations while we were recording with him, but I just remember uh, to go into the studio with the musicians uh, that Christian uh, recorded um, at, for that album was just, it was a real escape from the harshness of reality. That's not to say anything was fake or... How do you mean? Well, you'd go in there and we'd work on the songs on that album. Sounds uh, in individually, like one by one, or? Uh, there was uh, overlaps, but it, it went one by one and then there was overlaps. Okay. You know, basic tracks. I, I started recording in 2012. I put out a single in 2014, and then the album came out in 2016. So it was a four-year thing, but over that four years, I just remember that, you know, I'd have to get the bread together to... To yeah. pay everybody and all yeah. that sort of stuff. And so you do that. And then it was, I remember it being a tremendous uh, relief to be in the studio and do that. That's the only way I can describe it. A relief from the harshness of reality, you know. Do you have a hard time um, figuring out what songs to put on a certain album or project? Like, do you, would you say, leave the album tell you? Or would you. Um, have all that figured out before you go to studio. I would leave the album tell me. Because yeah. the the last sort of album that I did prior to that, I worked with Lance Hogan of Keela, and that's where mm-hmm. New Yorkers and Double Parking and mm-hmm. uh, all that, that album, an album that came out in 2002 called Taking It In with Open Kitchen. Uh, that also was a very, very interesting thing to do. But it was different because it was rural. It was a different sort of thing. We'd disappear for four or five days at a time, mm. out of Cork, go to this place, Simon Taylor's place in Code Mountain, down by Carasavine, in between um, Kinmare and... You just stay there for the week? Stay there for four or five days and, and have a great time Good. recording. That was, But it was different. But Christian's was different because it was in the city. Yeah. And it was... The way Christian worked, I'd say he still works like this. It was... Clocking in, you got there at 10, lunch at 1, again from 2 to 6. And not that it was like scientifically like that. But, but it's it, good to have a routine as well. It was, yeah. yeah. It was, it was, it was, it was, and, but those, those three hours every time. And I just remember doing, I know you like Maiden's Tower. It was a lot of fun doing every one of those I, tracks. I like a lot of your songs. What intrigued me about Maiden's Tower was why you, you. Oh, the story? Wrote a song about, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But to record that there was great. Every, every one of the songs. Uh, that I recorded there with Eleanor and Brian and Christian and people like Owen Regan and, you know, other people that were on it. Mm. There's all kinds of people that are on it singing and playing. Mary's on it. Great woman called Evelyn, Evelyn Collinsey, who I know you know, Evelyn. Yeah, great singer. And Claire Sands, Claire Sands is on fiddle on one of it. You know, so it was a very interesting time. Great. And a, lot of, it, lot of great people in there. Yeah, so I really enjoyed that because it was, 
it was different from the way I'd recorded before. Yeah, uh, you know, that sort of like, there was a whole thing of going to the country, man. Sulam was out in the country, you know. Uh, when I recorded with uh, Lance, it was in the wilds of Kerry. There's a lot of your songs that I, that I, um, I like, uh, as you know, you know, but just for the listeners, I mean, um, we often did the Green and the Grey together. I, I know that's that's a one that goes back a bit too, you know. Yeah. There's a great video on YouTube of you playing that with us. It's really special because you showed up to this big barn dance we were doing. Oh, that was in, in Wexford. Yeah. Have, really. you not, have you not seen that video? I did, yeah. yeah I, that's I haven't a really, seen it for years. That's yeah. really good because that was a really good band. I think, who was in that band? That was a superstar band. I that remember because was... I was playing in, um, I was in Gory. And you were in Coraclaw. Yeah. And we were, and I said, come on down and, and play. And we finished, yeah, we came down it was to your gig. a big barn dance. That's, I did that with... That was great. That band was great with Artie from Princess Street. Ronan Asnodic from Keela. From Keela. Owen Regan playing guitar. Um, uh, Eleanor and Deli. Yeah. Eleanor was playing bass and the two girls wore cowboy hats. <laughs> Yeah. And you were singing the green and the grey, and I remember. I had a call my as well. I think we're, yeah, it was like a barn dance. <laughs> it was, yeah, it was great, crack. Yeah, that was a lot of fun. There's a video of that out there. The green and the grey. I mean, this might, you know, go back to like uh, your song. If you wanna, if you're gonna edit this, which I'm sure you are. I mean, everybody knows things are edited these mm -hmm. days and all that. But if you want to get back to songwriting, the green and the grey is a song that I wrote, and there's bits in it. I just wrote it without even thinking about the structure of songs. It just happened that way when I wrote it back in 1987 or so I was thinking about my little sister who's now uh, much older but she was uh, in Ireland and I was away in America and I was thinking about Ireland being the green and the grey and uh, that's how that song came about and the riff I mean that's a bit of a joke actually not, not that the, the riff's a joke but like if I meet Tom Clark or yeah, yeah. other people like that you know it's uh, and you often answer the phone to me like that oh very good yeah <laughs> oh, there you go so it's a distinctive riff so it's got the riff but it's got verses a chorus a middle eight and a bridge it's got everything and I, I, yeah. I like I didn't do that on purpose just the way it came out it's the way it came out I was thinking about my Life in Ireland, mm. like as I mentioned to you before, I've been bouncing back between New York and Cork, and that's my life. Yeah, I'm a New Yorker in Cork. I'm an old Corker in New York. Whatever way you want to put it, yeah. but that song came from that as well. There's a lot of things. Uh, do you know a man called um, John Ryan? He's he manages um, the Dublin City Ramblers, but John is uh, good friends with um, the Grateful Dead. So Sean McGuinness from the Dublin City Ramblers was on um, one of my song collector sessions last year and I got chatting to John and I played him your... Um, oh, we're in Garcia? We're in Garcia from... Um, from the, the Living in the Land of Love just album. Just to get back on topic. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, oh yeah, that's a good link. So well done. And did he like it? Oh yeah, I loved it. Good stuff. Good. So he said, I'm glad you brought the Grateful Dead into this finally. There you go. Excellent. So he's a big deadhead, is he? He's a big deadhead. And he 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 was telling me about, he manages the Dublin City Ramblers. Yeah. Wow. He's he's a, he's from America, but he was telling me about um, being backstage with uh, 
the Stones and Grateful Dead and everything. Yeah, he's he's been around them for a while. But I, I played him your track. Loved it. Yeah, good. That's like, great. Because it was a nice news. tribute written. You never told me that. You tell me that on air. That's fantastic. oh yeah. I was keeping it for now just to surprise you. Oh, I'm knocked out, <laughs> listeners. I am knocked out, but that's fantastic. Should play a little snippet of that now, or play some Dead. Anyway, <laughs> that's great. That's that's really good to know because the Grateful Dead are anyone that knows me will tell you how much I really enjoy them. Yeah, we, we were sitting one night. Oh, we did mention it earlier. Yeah, you about, mentioned it. About mentioned. Declan is a big deadhead as well. Yeah. yeah. Um, Not everybody loves them. Some people actively hate them, think that they meander <laughs> and that they go on too long and they jam. But, I mean, if you get hooked onto Jerry Garcia's musicality, it really is like drugs. You get hooked onto it and it doesn't matter. You'll go for that fix every time. Mm. I, I'm sorry for using sort of like junky terms and stuff like that, but that is the way it is. Oh it, my God, you're using junky terms. I am. And um, it, it, we're now in 2020. Yes, okay. So you want to know about living in the land of love, getting back on that. So yeah, that's another thing that was fantastic. Because I can remember that just building these songs of Christian over that four-year period. And the first single... I released was a thing called So Close. Mm -hmm. We were so close. We were so close, but we, we never, never kissed. kissed. I wrote that with Mary. and oh, I didn't know Mary was involved in that. Yeah, one. and I was working on another song with Mary, and then, again, <laughs> we I had a riff, and Mary and I were working on another song, and we traded those lines, and I wrote them down. Mm -hmm. And I said to Mary, you know those lines we traded the other day? And she's like, yeah, well, there's a song there now. And she said, you you, you finished it without me? And I was like, sorry. You weren't there. So, so, so she left, you know, she'd <laughs> okay. come to my, I, I, hello, Mary. <laughs> Thanks for putting up with me like that. But so, you know, Hopefully so, she gets but the thing about that was, I, was I, I didn't know what the story was with that song. And this is going back to the thing you were talking about earlier with regards to, do you decide beforehand yeah I, or do I let the album decide is it a melody first or whatever, yeah but so that's the way that came about and there was I had a riff uh, and uh, Eleanor loved it Eleanor loved that song we were so close we never kissed and she re and she said I started playing it and she would no matter what I would play Eleanor would always embellish it so she was playing piano while we were tuning up for something else with Christian. And Christian goes, what's that? One of those stories in the studio, what's that? I said, well, that's a song that I've been working on with Mary Green and, you know, and he said, you should record that. And I said, really? And Ella says, yeah, 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 let's do that. So it was one of those things that we did immediately. I played it on the guitar and Eleanor played uh, piano and bass <laughs> on it. And we left it there. I didn't know whether we were going to use it or not. And then I came in the next day, although that night, Christian went in, added the drums to it. He played amazing drums on it. He's a great player. And and he sent it to me that night, and all of a sudden, the last song we recorded was the first single. Really? Yeah. And it's it's lovely. And we used, uh, we got experimental. We used some weird sort of uh, electronic instrument on it. I forget the name of it right now. It's... That's the beauty of a studio, though. You, you can... You can um, yeah. Well, you can make... If you have an idea for a song and you're recording, maybe Aiden, I don't know if you agree with this, but what you can do in the studio is, is make it the best possible way that you imagine. And that's why people are always arguing, storming out of studios, or people are coming in to do this or do that or whatever, mm -hmm. you know, or people agree and people don't agree. What do you think that makes? What do you think of this? But that's the thing. You make it the best possible reality of what it is. 
remember, or what it could be. I remember when I, when I was a teenager, um, again, just, just uh, my uncle uh, Mick Hodge seems to be getting uh, a lot of mentions today, but I remember him saying something to me that, that really stayed with me afterwards. And, and he always says, you served the song, is what he used to say, you served the song, you know, whatever. The, He's right. You know, and, and that's something that um, I think no matter what style or genre of music you play. And that works both ways. You know. You serve the song. You serve the song and then you serve it out to people. Mm. You serve the song. Yeah, the song is the master. Is it the singer of the song? I don't know. It's the singer generally. But does the singer serve the song? You have, I, I, These I, are conversations I, that could go on and on forever. On and on, but I, I just think, uh, you know, uh, it's, some people have a gift of delivering. A song as well. Yeah. That's what you're saying about serving, you know. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, so that was that was the thing with living in the land of love. It was a thing that went on from uh, November 2012 to uh, about July 2016. By the time we had it all done. Yeah. And uh, the other neat thing that should be mentioned is that, and we mentioned his name um, earlier. His name is Brian Lucy. Oh, yeah. Well, Brian's a mastering engineer in uh, in L.A., and uh, he was the guitar player in the original New York New York Open Kitchen. He was also from Ohio, but he's got a nice Irish name, Brian Lucy. But he is a mastering engineer in L.A., and he mastered the album for us. Would he have been one of your crew when you played on top of the Empire no, State? No, no, no. That was Open Kitchen. That was Cork Open Kitchen. Okay. And that was Shane Scanlon, great guitar player. Uh, Shane O'Brien, great bass player. They were in the longest Cork version of Open Kitchen, okay. which went from uh, maybe 2000 and or 1996 to about 2008. Brilliant. Yeah, that was that. So they, they, those two. And Martin Lee, he was in that band as well. But he didn't play on top of the Empire State Building. A guy called Trevor Kiley played on top of the Empire State Building. How did, how did that even come about? Well, um, after September 11th, mm -hmm. uh, which horrified the world, uh, I realized I had recorded this song called New Yorkers. So literally, I sent it to the Empire State Building's people. I found out through friends in New York, Alice Farrell, actually. I don't know if you know Alice. Anyway, she's been a big champion of Irish music in New York for a long time. And she's uh, she figured out who to send it to at the Empire State Building. So I managed to send it to them and said, I'd like to play on top of the Empire State Building on St. Patrick's Day and play my song, New Yorkers. It'll be coming out soon. And they wrote back and said, okay. What year was that? That was 2002. Well, so it was a year after. It was. It wasn't even a year after. It was within the, the march after. Or yeah, I was like, I will fearlessly go on top of the Empire State Building and play my song, but it, like, there's a. It's kind of a bittersweet tale, really. Um, because we did it, and it was great to do. It, it really was. Um, the only people in the Irish media that took up on it really were. Uh, Billy McGill, you know Billy? I do, yeah. Uh, Billy happened to be in New York and he heard about it and he took photographs yeah. for the Echo and all that. Uh, but they were that was the only media coverage I really got. I didn't get anything from any other media outlet. And I'm not complaining about it, but... But surprise, surprise. Well, it's, it's not so much that, but it, it is. It's like, no, 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 it's not really. It, because like I could have done stuff myself to make that happen in a way, except I was also doing it. I was 
performing it, singing it, making sure it happened, making all those phone calls. There's only so much you can do. I learned a lesson about New York City. I thought, well, okay, we're going to do this. We're going to bring all our gear upstairs in the elevators, mm-hmm. and we're going to plug it in, and we're going to do it, and it's going to be rocking. And I'm going to sing New Yorkers on top of the Empire State Building. And then we got a phone call uh, from the Empire State Building saying, are you bringing gear upstairs? I said, yeah, yeah, we're going to bring a PA system, small PA system and our amplifiers and stuff like that. Well, if you do that, you got to... You gotta, you gotta pay our electricians. It's uh, you, you can't plug these things in here because uh, it's, it's a union thing. It's like, uh, and I said, oh, okay. I said, well, how much is that gonna cost? Because I thought, you know, and it turned out to be, for me, monsterism, prohibitive. It was a couple of grand, like <laughs> yeah, yeah. at the time, dollars. And I, like, you know, we were over there. We would signed with a band or a management yeah. company or some sort of like publishing concern. I mean, if I had any brains about me, I would have gone somewhere and, and borrowed the money and no. and but it was all too quick we yeah. were in new york when we got worried about this no you can't do this because uh you mm. know you got to be part of the union now i'm not complaining because we went up stairs and played it acoustically mm. and the effect of that was it's just like <laughs> a bunch of guys irish hippies <laughs> over there playing a song and it would like look like we we're busking it wasn't like uh i don't I know, know it was a metallica or some sort of band on top of the the Twin Towers ones blasting it out, like, you know? Yeah, yeah. You, <laughs> you, know, like, you had your idea of what you wanted to do. Yeah, and then we had to do yeah. this as well. But it was very nice. And it was freezing up there that day. Absolutely. We were frozen. I mean, it was like, you know, it was March. And it was a cold March. We were up there. We were frozen. We played it a couple of times. And, uh, and then we said... Uh, there's a video of it on YouTube somewhere, there, Yeah, there? no, no. It's, it's, yeah, there's a video out there, but it's... It's it's kind of sad, really, in a way. I'm being very honest about that. It's kind of sad, I, really. Yeah, right? I, I, it was great to do, but the thing was, we were like then the other side I, was we were I, frozen, like we were like absolutely <laughs> frozen, and I, we and we were disappointed in that. But let me just finish it off. So we we played it once, we played it twice. It's like the Beatles playing "Get Back on Top of the Roof." Yeah, yeah. Played it once, played it twice. Maybe we, I think we did it three times because like come on, yay! And all our friends there. My uncle was there, and Tom Clark was there, and it was, it was a great thing to do. But uh, then we said, okay, thank you very much, and. One of the people that had us there was like, you, you, you guys aren't finished. I was like, we're frozen. He said, uh, you, you got to keep playing, man, because uh, the, the, the head of publicity is here coming with his wife and she's Irish, you know? And I was like, okay, uh, but we're frozen. We can hardly, like, you know, we can hardly hear ourselves. People are walking by us. It's like we're playing on the street. It doesn't matter. I said, is there anyone else who can play? And the, the guy said, yeah, you can play in some sort of lobby. So then... We had a bit of a party in the lobby, and my uncle sang, and Tom Clark's, I think Tom sang. Well, that's cool. Uh, that was cool. That was a cool thing to do. All I was going to say to there is, man, at the end of the day, you're doing one of your songs on top of the Empire State Building. Yes. Yeah, that, that doesn't was... happen all the time. No, know? no, and I'm very so proud we, I'm cool. very proud we did it, but I, 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 you know, before anyone else says, well, you know, I just, I, like, I like the experience. So fuck what I, anyone I, else I, says, man. I mean, you, you did something are you that allowed was to cool. say? Are you allowed to say fuck on this podcast? You have to say it now, man. That's the first time I said it. <laughs> well, <laughs> but it's no, my no, no, podcast, right? yeah, yeah, that's your podcast. <laughs> no, what I want to say is that, it, like, it was, it was uh, sort of a typical thing that would happen to me or us or Open yeah. Kitchen. So, you know, so you guys, uh, you got to plug in here. You, you, you got to pay our guys, and it's like, oh man, I'm being nickled and dimed. That's yeah. what someone said. Yeah. You're being nickled and dimed. You know. Mm. They took a gamble thinking that these guys, they must have money, like, you know? Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, 
it's you know we had a couple of gigs and stuff like that but it wasn't like we were being bankrolled by some big huge media corporation and stuff like that and, just thought you were in and again I, like my hair was long and stupid like you know we could have done with a stylist and all this sort of stuff you know <laughs> <laughs> but uh, you know, I love that we did it, and that's that's you know, we went to America once. Um, we got it. I we, still think it's a cool story. Well, I, good. I, I, I looked. It was a know, cool thing to do. It was. It, it was. It was very cold up there. Though. <laughs> <laughs> it was March in New York. March in New York, which sometimes can be very nice. But anyway, Hank. Uh, just before we move on, uh, I want to speak to you about Charlie's. But before we move on to that, yeah. Um, will you tell the listeners where they can get uh, living in the land of love? You can get it off me at gigs for mm -hmm. uh, a while. Which I highly recommend as well, folks, if you're listening. If you can get to see Hank without go and watch him play. For a while there, from 2016 until just very, very, very recently, it was being put into shops and petrol stations and stuff by a, a wonderful distribution company uh, in Fromoy called Boulder. Um but they have just stopped doing CDs. People aren't buying CDs anymore. They're not putting them into petrol stations and all that sort of stuff. But I want to publicly thank Vince and everybody up in Boulder for being so involved in getting that album out there because mm -hmm. it was in every petrol station that they could put it to in the country in supermarkets and all that. So it did get out there um, and did sell some copies there like that. It was fantastic. I, I, I still prefer um, getting CDs. I love reading the the sleeves and, and the inside notes and all that, you know. Um, well, you know, CDs, uh, the thing is, everything's so fast. Everything. Yeah, it is, man. We were talking know. before we went on air with our, our engineer about every two years, computers change everything. Mm -hmm. Every two years, you know, it comes along. So with that as a link, you can get it online. Punch my name online and Spotify. It's mm -hmm. on Spotify. It's on Bandcamp. There's videos of... So close. That was the one. Weir and Garcia. They're all uh, online YouTube. If you put my name in, you'll see where you can get so Hank Weedell, W E D E L. So if someone pretty much just searches Hank Weedell, it'll pop up. It'll pop up. Living in the land, land of, of love. love. You'll find out. Yeah. Great stuff. Yeah. No, I kept this topic for last. Okay. Because God knows how long this, <laughs> this is going to go on for. You've recently celebrated um, with the mighty Ray Baron um, twenty. You made an album, didn't you? Of twenty-five years of Charlie's. Yes. Which is, I mean, for any of the listeners outside of Cork, everyone in Cork knows where Charlie's is. But outside of Cork, it's uh, this little music room on Union Key. That's. It, it's been housing great music forever, really, hasn't it? It's gone back a long, long time. Um, owned by Magella and Owen Bradley and their family. Yeah, Magella's Since 1994, nice February 1994, making it 26 years this year, if you're listening, this year in 2020, 2020, uh, making it 26 years this year, playing every Monday night. And if I'm not there... Ray gets someone, and if Ray's not there, I get someone. And if we're both not there for whatever reason, we ask people to take our place and hold the, the thing down. It's, that's pretty seldom, though, is it? I mean, like, as far as... No, I, you, there's been periods where I've been gone away for months and Ray's been gone away for weeks. Yeah. 
Uh, yeah, yeah. I, you know. It just feels like you're, you're always there. Well, we are pretty much always there. In fact, sometimes going on the road, we plan around getting back on a Monday, so we'll be there for the Monday. Oh, all right, okay. You know. Tell me, because um, I, I, I've often been to that, um, that session, and it's great, you know. Yeah. How did that come about? How did how did it? I just want to start this from from the start, which is always a good place to start, isn't it? How did it come um, about? Well, Princess Street were contemporaries. That means we were working at the same time as a band called Bone Idol, and then, as now, there was a lot of interplay between bands. I, actually, to answer your question, maybe there was more interplay than than there is now, but that might be just true for me and Ray and that. But if you know what I'm saying, like like we shared a drummer with Bone Idol. Okay. We shared drummers with Bone Idol. Brian Callan's a great drummer, but Princess Street's drummer uh, generally was Art Lorgan, a great drummer uh, who was a friend and companion for a while of Rory Gallagher. I don't think he ever played in Taste or anything like that, but same vintage, same age as Rory. Artie's an amazing drummer, amazing character, loves music, like with every f fiber in his being. Mm -hmm. So that's Artie. And he played with Bone Idol as well. So then someone like Pat Driscoll who played in, in uh, Open Kitchen, he was playing bass at Bone Idol. Uh, with Ray's band Bone Idol. Yeah, and then uh, a guy called Joe Cochran, who was a friend of Princess Street, like a really good friend and one of the people we used to busk with. Joe Cochran taught me how to play The Fields of Athenry before it was like the big hit that it was. He was singing that song. Did the Dublin City Rambles have that out before Paddy Riley? Um, no, Danny Doyle did. Yeah, it goes back a Pete St. John song. Pete St. John. Yeah, so that was around before it became the, the mega hit that Paddy made it. It was around. It was around because um, Danny Doyle did it. And I think um, Barry Corn made a colour version of it too before, obviously, Paddy, Paddy made it a, a hit. It was in, in, in the Irish charts. Like, See, I remember when Joe yeah, Cochran, Joe Cochran was a great songwriter, but he was a lead singer in Bone Idol. So everybody knew everybody and everyone was swapping back and forth in bands. And so although Princess Street was a pretty steady band, myself, Mick and Brian. Uh, but rhythm sections and all this other stuff could be interchangeable. And what I'm trying to say is that I got to know Ray then around that time. And they were playing their country and Eastern thing, they used to call it. Uh, uh, Bone Idol and great fiddle player, Vincey Milnan and great oh, yeah. guitarists and all this other stuff, you know. So there was a lot of bands around then. Uh, and Ray's band, Bone Idol, was one of them. And we'd often share bills or we'd just meet each other on the scene and stuff like that. And mm. uh, Then Ray would ask me to... Ray was playing a, a session in the lobby around that time on a Monday with Richie McCarthy. You know Richie? Well, anyway, Richie's a great guitar player. Richie's well, a... Yeah, 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 yeah. Richie's a great guitar player, great singer, and he used to busk. And he runs a, a festival down in Carsevine these days, the Mountain Roots Festival. And... Uh, but Richie was playing. And then sometimes if Richie could make it, Ray would ask me to play in the lobby on a Monday night. And then I would go in sometimes if I was off on a Monday night just to, to just go in and gig. play and just pick and play and not, you know, it wasn't necessarily my gig. So a friendship blossomed. So all of a sudden um, I'm playing with Ray and then he started asking me to play in the bar on. And then we found out, oh, you know, this is this is fine. He, you know. and a uh, fine player, Hank. I think... 
the thing is about it is that he was kind of interested in playing the songs that I would play, and I was interested in learning how to back tunes. And he doesn't just play Irish tunes. He plays bluegrass no, and... Everything. I've seen you doing Jewish music. You've done... You South didn't... American music, yeah. So... Like, like I've, I've heard you literally experiment with with everything. Yeah. Like, like everything. I'm not... I'm not saying that to cover everything for no reason. I've I've heard you play pretty much everything. Yeah, so there's style, there's you know? that element of it, and that sort of organically started in the early '90s, and then, uh, then by 1994 we were playing around, and then uh, Ray was talking to Magella. By that time, '94, Magella was running Charlie's, and she said, "Let's let's give it a month or something like that. You wow. know, let's give it a month and see what happens." And we've just been playing there ever since. It's just been a, a thing to do. You're into your 26 year. And now. then in 1999, we put out an album. We recorded at Ray's studio, produced by Liam Murphy, great guitar player who played with Ray in various uh, ensembles through the years. Great Cork guitar player Liam Murphy, uh, really great player, and uh, he produced it and. That album was kind of popular, mm -hmm. the Hank Widow and Ray Barron album that was based in Charlie's. And that the Afro mentioned Grateful Dead. We did two dead songs on that. Uh, we that did, we kind of did we kind of did a reflection of what it is that we do. Was it a live album or a studio no? No, album? studio album okay. done in Ray's okay. place. Done in Ray's place. Yeah, it was just the two of us. James O'Sullivan from Open Kitchen, who eventually played with Two Time Polka's Ray's band. Mm -hmm. But the thing about it is with Ray is that we have, we have. We get together on a Monday night and we've done a lot of work outside of Charlie's, but uh, you can see a documentary, a little mini documentary about this that I made with Florrie McCarthy. It's on YouTube. It's any given Monday. I explain this. Ray does what he does with Two Time Polka and I do what I do with Open Kitchen or with Small Town Talk. or so. But we meet on a Monday night mm -hmm. and the musicians that he brings and the musicians, musicians that I bring or the musicians that are attracted to what it is that we do separately together, that's what happens there on a Monday night. And anything can happen on a Monday night. And I think the reason is you can get into a zone in Charlie's. You were talking about it being a great little music room, and that's mm -hmm. exactly what it is. You can get into a zone. I mean, we play on a Monday night, and we've had all kinds of people play. I mean, This is what I was going to ask you. Cause yeah. I, uh, this is, a, uh, if you were to sit here and name people, we'd be here forever. Um, so I, I'm trying to ask you this in a, an easier way. There's so many people who have, like you were just about to say, uh, would guest with you or, or, you know, come in and see your gig or get up and do a song with you or, or whatever, you yeah, know. Yeah. Um, is there kind of like memorable moments? Is there too many to mention? Or is there something that, like... All this is kind of combined because how do you select the songs for a particular project like that? Um, 25 years of Charlie's, what do you leave in and what do you leave out? Oh, and, and well, then, uh, oh yeah. Uh, and the memories of different people. Because like you mentioned um, John Lynch earlier. I've seen John in there sing with you, God rest him now. But, you know, people have, who have come and go and everything, you know, like... Memories from Charlie's is kind of what I'm asking you. It just whatever comes into your head now, because I know there's so many, but is there anything that kind of stands out over 25, nearly, what is it, 26 years now? Uh, there's a lot. 
I don't want you to kind of have yeah, to leave yeah. somebody out. No. Yeah, that's the thing. It's a hard yeah. to, that's why I'm trying to word it to you because there's so many and so many people, so many songs, so many everything. Like, Well, I, I, I'll tell you what it is. I'll tell you, and this can dovetail into what our latest release was. Uh, last, in 2018, Tom Clark, who loves playing there in Charlie's, uh, based in New York, asked all his friends online to write a Christmas song. And I wrote a jokey Christmas line about, I wish I were in Charlie's on a cold core Christmas Eve mm -hmm. with Frosty the Snowman and uh, Burl Ives. <laughs> no, and I, that's I, all I had. That's <laughs> all. I wrote it to him and I just said, there's your Christmas song. See what you can do with it. And I'm sure he laughed and stuff like that. But what happened then was that uh, Coral O'Sullivan, a classical oboist in town, saw what I had written and wrote two verses about playing in Charlie's and about what it means to be playing in Charlie's and what it means to be in Charlie's. Hard to brand the words. That these lyrics with Brian, who I write with all the time, and I said, these are really good lyrics. Let's write a song about it. So we sat around John O'Callaghan's round table again, <laughs> and we came, we made it more specific to Cork, and we came up with Charlie's on a Cold Cork Christmas Eve, which was recorded at Ray's studio, and also in New York, and if you look at the track listing of who's on it, it's almost everybody, not almost everybody, but it's a lot of people that have come through and played with us in Charlie's in that space. Great. So I would have to say, although it does sound like I'm promoting the last Christmas EP, <laughs> it's true. And I would say the Christmas thing about Charlie's is the most memorable thing to answer because before we ever did a Christmas single, you know, Ray has two sons with Geraldine, and they're both in his band now, or whatever two-time polka is these days. They generally play with them. They're both grown men, amazing musicians, guitarists. Robbie plays bass, and he, Robbie, his son, produced the Christmas single. So there's that element. And I've got four kids with Eileen, and every Christmas, as they were growing up, the one night of the year that they were allowed to come in and see their dads play on a Monday night or play in Charlie's was Christmas Eve. So it was always special. Uh, they would come in and uh, it was a family thing. And, and then all of a sudden this happened. And if you look at the credits on that song in particular, you'll see people that from right throughout have been involved. Uh, Boo Reiners, he plays banjo and he plays dulcimer on it. He's in a great American banjo player, guitarist, and one of he plays a demolition string band with his partner Elena. They've come to Charlie's. They love playing there. Uh, who else is on it? Uh, Steely Dave Murphy's playing pedal steel on it. You know, and on the other tracks, uh, Mary Green singing on it. Eamon Flannery, one of the guys who works there, he's singing on it. You know, so I would have to say probably the whole fact that it's around Christmas and family and friends, yeah, yeah. that is probably the single most thing I could identify that represents what we've done in Charlie's. But there's been so much. 
So it's like the Charlie's family in a way. It, they, they, yeah, I guess so. Probably, probably with a few people left out. But I think the secret money, is but, the but, secret but, to no, it is is the fact that Ray does his thing and I do my thing. You know, magic. So. I, I, like we're not. It's and we've been on the road together and stuff like that. But I think the secret is is the fact that I bring what I bring and he brings it for what he brings. Like you know, right. and uh, we bring the different sort of musicians that come in. But I will say this about Charlie's: you can get into the zone in Charlie's and. You know, there's one thing about Hank Rudell and Ray Barron playing there on a Monday night, but every rock and blues band worth their salt wants to play in Charlie's because, mm. not because it's huge, because it's not. A hundred people is a lot of people in there. Ninety mm. people is a lot of people in there. But you can get into the zone. Mm. And I had great gigs with uh, John Lynch and the Medication Blues Band. The Medication Blues Band playing in Charlie's was what survived of Princess Street over the years. It would be the guys in Princess Street, Martin Moilette, Mick Garrity, myself and Brian playing with either Martin Leahy or Art Lorgan or Brian Callan or, you know, we, we play and we'd back up John Lynch. And mm. it, to be playing in a blues rock band in Charlie's is quite a thing. Mm. And the crowd love it. And they're right on your, they're right in front of you. Yeah, it's they're right in front of you. There's no barriers, there's no, and everyone, gets off and I mean like Joe Callum playing with the Medication Blues Band in there playing harmonica with McGarrity playing harmonica and we're playing like a John Mayall song it's just like that's one of the most amazing things ever so the room itself there's just something about the room there's history in it well I don't even know if it's the history of it it's just you can get into the zone you get a really good zone I mean I remember playing there with you I got you to play one Christmas. We did a few of those, yeah, the, the yeah. early morning, the early morning game. Yeah, the early, and that's the other thing about it. It's got, like you said, it's got history, but it's it's got a character that is of another time. Okay, let me put this to you a little bit different, so because um, you've been doing, you've been on the music scene and everything like, since before I was even born. So when I say to you, there's history in it, I'm coming from a different way because I always knew that, like, since I started playing music you've been over there on a Monday night. So if I can put it this way, you and Ray, and to be honest, a, a lot of the people we've spoken about on this podcast, but this was really Cork because, because a lot of names were mentioned. You've put a stamp on um, time or in Cork music, you know, or you've kind of, you've set a bar as well, a lot of you, you know, because the guy's coming through and I, maybe you'd say it about other guys before you as well, but, when uh, maybe there's like a certain um, duty now for the other generations coming through of whatever style of music you play that the guys who did it before you set, set a standard that keeps the Cork music scene at a, at a high level now. You know, that, that, that kind of thing. Sure. So maybe um, you mightn't see it as history, but I, I do see, um, the, like for for one example, yourself and 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 Ray over there on a Monday, and, and guys like Ricky Lynch and and, and um, you know the likes around the place, great great players. I, I, yeah, I, I get what you're saying. That's true, uh, you know? but I think I don't know if I want to talk about what I'm doing as history quite yet. <laughs> I don't. I don't mean it that way. I don't mean it that way. <laughs> you know, I, and I, that's why I was trying to don't do tell that to you me now. That the Christmas song is like something that we released to celebrate the the twenty five years. Mm. You know, but it's current. It's happening. It's now. It features Robbie Barron on production. It features uh, 
young and old, so to speak, of what's happening in Cork now and the people that have come through. And I'd like to think that, you know, I'm not saying that you're passing the torch. No, I don't, I don't mean that way. Like, oh, I don't mind I, passing the torch. No, but I, no, you're, uh, you're too young for that kind of stuff. Well, but, I just I, I, passing the torch is fine. Like you know, I but, just uh, I just say what 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 you did. Give me back my torch, Roy. <laughs> I didn't get it. Um, Pass that torch over here. But, <laughs> um, <laughs> I think that uh, what you what you did has earned a huge amount of respect from the generations that came afterwards. Is it fair if I say it that way? Yeah, sure. Way? Yeah. Sure, yeah, yeah. I, I don't want to, yeah, I know. <laughs> I'm laughing at the, the idea that, that I'm, you're part of history and you're gone. It's not like that. Well, we're, but, in, a, we're in a couple of books, all right. We're in a book are. that's called 101 Cool Things About Cork, <laughs> which is great. Yeah. Oh, no, 101 Reasons Why Cork Is Better Than Dublin. Is that what it's called? That's what it's called. We're in that. <laughs> we're in some other book as well. So I guess, yeah. And Princess Street are in some sort of book as well. So That just comes with time if you keep at it. The thing to do, folks, is to keep at it. One way or the other. So while you just said that, I, I sometimes like to ask uh, guests on the podcast, um, for uh, people getting going in music now are, you know, about to dip their toe in the water of the music world, you know, is there any kind of... Um, advice or um, knowledge that you would pass their way from your experience? Yes. Don't. <laughs> no. By all means, if it's in your heart and your mind and your spirit to do it, then you should do it. Like I said, I do it for the sake of stability and sanity in my own existence. And I think people that are out there will know what I'm talking about. Uh, but this is the thing to realize. And Owen Regan, the guitar player, will maybe give a wry smile at this because it's something that he reminds me that I told him years ago. I need to be reminded of this myself from time to time. But it's true. And I heard this from an older musician who was in Bone Idol, a great guitar player. His name is Pat Mack. He's still alive, Pat is. He plays with Sean Gill. Mm-hmm. And they're East Cork boys. Yeah, they go as McGill. McGill, yeah. yeah. And he used to work as a guitarist, but he also worked in Bill Russell's music shop. Remember that? Yeah. Yeah. There was Crowley's and there was Bill Russell's. Mm -hmm. Now there's just Pro Musica. And, you know, that's the way it goes. Uh, I went in one day, we were talking about the dynamics of the music business, pretty much like you and I are doing now, but there was no microphone and I was just buying strings and stuff. Mm hmm picking guitars off the wall and seeing what they had and uh, we were talking about the dynamics of the music and he said you, the music business you get what you get and you don't get anything else so you have to be satisfied with what you get and when you're not satisfied and if it turns you bitter then you have to really reappraise what it is that you're doing you have to be happy with what you get because it's very much an illusion. You know, if you work hard at it and you learn to sing songs and you learn to serve songs and deliver songs and all that, then you just keep doing it in whatever sort of capacity you can do that. Vocally, in a band, instrumentally, whatever whatever it is, but you get what you get. You don't get anything else. Mm. Are you saying be grateful? Uh, I guess I am, but I, I don't even know if great, grateful is maybe too... Mm. 
strong a word. Uh, be prepared to just get what you get uh, and and work with that. Uh, you know, I have another way of putting it. Um, you can always get what you want. You, well, yeah, you get what you need. I mean, I, that's 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 another thing entirely, man. He wrote that because of satisfaction. <laughs> I can't get no satisfaction, and he he wrote that as a reply to his own song. You can't always get what you want. He was running around the world by 1969 singing, mm -hmm. "I can't get no satisfaction." So, part two of that is you can't always get what you want, but you might get what you need. That's true. You know, don't forget you get what you get. You work with what you got. You're hot when you're hot. When you're not, you're not, in case you forgot. <laughs> that type of thing. Okay. That's my advice. Okay. You're hot when you're hot, you're not when you're not. You know, and uh, the only way to, to do it is to keep at it. I mean, it might kill you. It might put you into a mansion. It might put you on the road for the rest of your life. I, you know, it's different for everybody, mm -hmm. but you the get what is different. you yeah. get. What you get, you don't get anything else. Okay. And there's no shame in keeping on going, and there's no shame in giving up, but just you get what you get and work with what you get. How about that? Okay, that's sound sound advice. You know, I mean, like, as other people say, oh, that's ridiculous. You know, I understand that. You know, I mean. <laughs> I was just watching a thing about A Tale of Two Cities. You see, there was Phil Linnett and Rory Gallagher. Go on. I didn't uh, see that. And, uh, Rory, <clears throat> you know, they're two different people. Yeah. And it's tragic what happened to the both of them. Mm -hmm. But they were completely two different people. And, uh, you know, they have that famous footage of Rory walking along the streets of Cork saying, you know, I don't want to be so famous that I can't walk into a shop and buy a chocolate buy a bar of chocolate or, you know, go for a pint with my friends and stuff. I don't, I don't want any of that. I don't want any of that sort of swinging off the chandelier's fame. Okay, fair enough. And he lived like that and that's the way it was for Rory. Mm -hmm. You know, he was, you know, and then there was Philo. And Philo was like, I want all the, the glory. <laughs> I want all the, I want it, I want it all. You know, and, but like, and he, Phil should have been the way he was because he was what he was. And Roy should have been the way he he was because that's what he was. Do you mean they stayed true to themselves? They stayed true to themselves, yeah. Mm -hmm. And that's great. And they were both monumental. You know? Mm -hmm. Monumental. That's what they were. Manny's the night I've um, sat chatting, <laughs> chatting with you. Today I've spent most of the day chatting to you and happily so. I, I always love... Um, Doing a gig with you or being in your company, we've had some good times along the way. So we I, certainly have. I want to thank you for taking the time to give us an insight into you and your music and your life and everything. Um, I'd like to thank you for allowing me or making it possible for me to recount the magical great. mystery tour that no, I've been on since 1967. It was great chatting. And I'd like to apologize to anybody that uh, I might have got something wrong here or inaccurate. I think you'll be forgiven if there is. No, I won't. <laughs> I know the musicians I play with. They won't let me forget. Do you remember that time that you said to Roy Buckley, what was that all about? <laughs> That'll be my life now from now on. You said it. Yeah, it it'll be, it'll be your uncle. It's your, there for life. Yeah, your uncle probably be one of them. Come here, what were you talking about there? <laughs> he probably would, yeah. Yeah, you should do your, you should do your uncle. That sounds terrible. <laughs> <laughs> you should uh, interview your uncle about his time in the music. He's, I might catch him when he's home, yeah. Yeah, yeah. 
and find out about the time he got knighted. He's a France. real, he's a real warrior, you know. He really is. Oh, that yeah. time in France. Anyway, that's another story. <laughs> that's a there's a movie there. There's a movie. There's there. a movie there. Yeah, we'll have to wait for the um, the nine o'clock watershed before we can tell any of the stories about Mick Hodge. Um, I have to finish this with the bookend question. The bookend question is on all the podcasts. Mm-hmm. Um, I mentioned this at the start. We all because everyone's journey is different. The first question exactly. At the start is always how did young Kevin Waddell or Hank Waddell get into music, you know? Right. And then we talk about everything that you've done or achieved or your life in music. My journey. And here comes the bookend question. Yeah. Which is, it's it's a hard one. So, of everything we've spoken about now, of, of all your achievements, of all the, the great times, is there one person, place, gig, time, one special moment that it was, if you had to pick one thing, it could be a friendship, it could be whatever, something that you would say it was all worthwhile for that, what would it be? I did say it's a difficult question. Uh... Lately, I've been bookending my time with a wedding. And that's the wedding of my son, Rory, to Ursula. And you could say that the journey started with, as I mentioned earlier, the rock and roll wedding that I had myself with Eileen, my wife. You could say that's where things started. And to go to the wedding of Rory and Ursula and to have the people there that were there and we got up and played and the band, we weren't the band, but the band were great and we got up and played and somewhere between both those weddings to have reached both of those or to have done both of those things are probably more important personally than anything else mm-hmm. to have actually been able to do all in between those two things. Does that make any sense to yeah, you? Yeah, it does. Now, they got married at the end of 2018 or September 2018. So it's kind of a 30-year journey. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, or So from when you could say I started being professional really in 1987, 88, and then he got married in 2018, where we got married, and they've given us two grandchildren. So that everything that I've been involved with has allowed me to be witness to that. I am grateful for. Great. So if I'm grateful for anything, so family, family, if you want to say that, yeah, Friend. yeah, but I play Hank. That's a yeah, and I yeah. nice thing to say. Yeah. As you can tell, I spoke a lot about my father as well, like, you know, so uh, I think... He was really the catalyst at the start. Yeah, the, the, yeah, the very much, yeah, very much. So, yeah. I hope that's not too heavy, though. That's <laughs> not heavy, though, man. Think, everyone's answer is different. You know, and I'm not saying it's over since Rory Nurse's wedding, but it's definitely... Not at all, it's just a timestamp. Just, just a timestamp on 
Since we're talking about all this sort of stuff, yeah, definitely. Brilliant, Hank. Um, taking the time. Um, You're welcome. I look forward to more um, stories that of what will come down the line. Um, it's always a pleasure being in your company. It's always a joy to gig with you, um, to share songs with you, a lot of your own songs as well. Um, and I wish you all the very best with your music. Thank you. And everything that you're doing. Um, you are a champion for us. So um, I want to thank you for that. Thanks for having me, Roy. And thank you for listening to anyone that's been listening. No problem. Any last word before we get out of here? Yeah, I hope to record a couple of things this year in 2020. Look out for that. That's what you've got coming up. Yeah, yeah I've got, I have a couple of things up my sleeve. Thank you very much again. Uh, I'd like to finish with uh, one of your great songs. We actually spoke about it earlier. I want to finish out with Listen, and I want to play your version, uh, one of your versions. Yes. I've um, I, I, While I loved uh, Christy Moore's version as well, in fairness, that, that was, that was uh, a nice uh, delivery of that. I um I think I want to play your version from the small town talk. Or, um, well, it was or, a, it was kind of a radio single. This version, radio, yeah. yeah, yeah. Declan did a great job making it into a radio single. He did a lovely thing. He faded it in in the beginning. <laughs> okay, a lovely fade in. Sometimes there's fade outs, but he did a fade in. So I, I we're, we're gonna leave I can, it. Here. I can almost hear it. I can almost. Is it fading in? Is, uh, there it is. <laughs> we'll see you next time on the Song Clip, the podcast. Uh, thanks again to the great Hank Patel. Um, stay tuned and we'll see you down the line. Fade up. Fade up. I listen to the whisper of moonlight on the water. I close your eyes. The singing of a feather on the breeze. Close your eyes and listen.
to the prayers of children to their blessed mother listen to the pleading of the faithful to their father listening to the song collector podcast brought to you by roy buckley music now please share the link with your friends